Welcome to the Sub Pop Cult Podcast. I'm your host, Michael McGruther. Today's episode is a very, very special episode. I am honored and pleased and humbled to have Nick Searcy as my guest. Now, I've known Nick for many years. We worked together on the small feature film Tigerland, which to this day is a cult classic that people still enjoy for reasons that Nick brings up later in our interview. We have a thoroughly enjoyable, calm and collected adult conversation about why the culture is the most important thing for any political power to be achieved. We have, between the two of us, a lot of experience inside the Hollywood system, and we know what we're talking about. I'm really happiest to know that in the two years since the 2020 election showed us the power's ugly face without a mask, thanks to Donald Trump, that Nick and I are now in agreement that somewhere along the line, our side has gone astray and been too tempted by politics and too easily baited into falling into a little world of its own off to the side, which really eliminates our power and our voice in a way that we contribute to. Later in the interview, he does say something that I really want you to dwell on. He brings up the fact that studios have set up little divisions like the Christian movie division and another division to sort of serve these little audiences that they don't really want to take on and catch on and become mainstream. This is an important thing to dwell on because what Nick says next, and you'll hear it shortly, is that they just ignore what they want to go away. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that's my mantra. Turn away from the media and turn away from them completely and they will disappear. It will take time because it's so huge. It's so monumentally big compared to the right when it comes to a media voice and an understanding. So collectively, we turn away little by little and we turn to each other and then the conversation is ours again. That's really how you own the narrative. So sit back and enjoy this important, informational, educational, and downright inspirational conversation that I have with Nick Searcy. And since this episode is due to be one of my biggest episodes because of Nick's influence and following, I'll take this opportunity to tell you about my book that's coming up for the culture. On the left, we've all been well aware of rules for radicals. Well, we don't have anything like that on our side, and our side isn't truly radical in the way that rules for radicals wants the left to be. We just need to be wise about the game. So I'm publishing my fourth book, and this is my first piece of nonfiction work. It's called Sub Pop Cult, The New Symphonic Reiteration. It'll be coming out right around the time that the elections happen. Uh, I'm timing it this way so that when you're disappointed, when you see the nonsense and you understand all the bullshit that's been thrown at us and the people who you want to win don't win, you can go to this book and you can start to open it daily and you can read and dwell on and absorb the truths that I share about how the game of people manipulation through culture, through popular culture works and how you can participate it and how we can acquire power over time and subvert the left's worldview. And while you're listening, please head on over to subpopcult.com and get on my emailing list so you can be one of the first to know when the book is available. Last night I watched uh, Capital Punishment, and before we even get into that movie, I want to ask you a question that's offbeat. You said your age. You said, I got my 62-year-old ass up on this horse. (laughs) And so then I was looking at your resume this morning just to catch up on the huge body of work that you've done over the years, and I noticed you were born in 1959. Mm -hmm. That means that when you were 10, it was 1969. Yeah. 1968 was by far the worst political year our country's ever seen 
besides right now, which is very similar. Right. Were you aware of the politics at that time, being a Southern boy, 10 years old, living in America, and the world is falling apart in the exact same way that it is today? Yeah, I was aware of it. I mean, it was um, a situation. I, I grew up in a small town in uh, western North Carolina in the mountains, and but it was a university town, Western Carolina University. There was a small college there. So there was, you know, every day when I went to school, I would go through campus. Our, our, our school was on the campus of this university. And so I saw some of the protests. I saw some of the the student activity there. And I also was aware of it because of the, you know, it was on TV every night. And so I knew about it. Yeah. But it, it, I, I didn't feel like the danger of it. I didn't really feel like it was something that was going to, you know, happen in my town or whatever, but I was certainly aware of, you know, Martin Luther King and, and, you know, the assassination. I, one of my earliest memories is I was four years old when, when John F. Kennedy was shot. And I, I do remember that. I do, uh, you know, it's a vague sort of, I was sitting on the couch kind of memory, but you know, I, I do you remember that. the adults in the room kind of losing it or just being gripped by it. Yeah. 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 And I, I think I was at school actually when that was going on. And so I have memories of watching the news on the couch and I do have memories of them announcing this at school or something. I think it was in kindergarten, but it was, uh, it was definitely something that I was aware of. No, no question about it. And it was, you know, our country was falling apart. There was like, as you said, there was, there's the assassination of Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, a lot of stuff, but, uh, we've both been in show business for a while. You've been in it much longer than myself, but I, I met you by working with you and somewhere that sixties culture that was, was really at odds with the man the power, the Vietnam War, the same script that they have today. They've just turned it upside down. Yeah. They started to eventually, they started their inroads into culture at that time. And, you know, we grew up, you had to be 20 in 1979, right? Yeah. Yeah. So by that time, so you've experienced all these fluctuations in the culture. So what's so different about right now compared to that drama when you were in your 20s and 30s all the people who were anti-establishment then are pro-establishment now i mean that's that's the really the the craziest thing about it to me is that it's basically the same people that were protesting nixon and protesting the vietnam war in in 19 in the 60s are now protesting anybody who opposes anything the government wants to do <laughs> and so that's it's, ironic. it's it's completely upside down. So they achieved their goal. They took over the system and now they just don't want to let anyone else have a say at right. all. Right. They have to shut everybody up. And this is how they always have to do it because they can't really argue their position. They've never really been able to. So the only chance for them is to silence everybody or, you know, in extreme cases, when they get enough power, they'll murder and imprison everybody <laughs> yeah no, there's no doubt it's coming <laughs> yeah. really feels that way but so they got a hold of the culture and that's how they created like mass followers of people who would line up with them maintaining this power that they ultimately get through culture mm -hmm. so you're working in the culture epicenter hollywood california you've been in so many amazing projects and worked with such a diverse group of people you really have the best kind of career when did it get First, the first time you really noticed politics kind of got intense, because one of the first things I wrote for Breitbart was an article about like George Clooney, when he had his little part on Facts of Life, he wasn't thinking Democrat, Republican. This feels like a new infection put upon us by the media. Right. When did it creep into your world and your life where it became obvious that it was getting darker and not just the classic American we disagree yeah, I mean, I think uh, around the, it was the Bush years uh, when I really started to notice it. Um, Bush Gore kind of, you know, that that sort of election uh, struggle um, really kind of galvanized a lot of people coming out of the Clinton years. And then uh, the Bush reelection in 2004, I was working on a sitcom. And uh, at the table read the night after the election, you know, um, in this sitcom, it uh, 
let's say there was another actor at the in the at the table read that was kind of on my side, you know, and we'd sort of, you know, we wanted Bush to win because we we didn't know any better back then. <laughs> but um, at the table read, there was one of the actresses that everybody was in such a horrible mood, except for me and my friend who were kind of giggling, and there was an actress there who said. I just hung my head out the window on the way he, on the way here and screamed, "Isn't there someone who'll assassinate this man?" And I'm like, "Okay, you know that's kind of illegal, and you, you really, you know, this is this is bad, you know." And and that's when I sort of realized, okay, these these people are kind of crazed, you know. They really hate anybody, literally hate anybody that disagrees with them. So and then I think it got worse during the Obama years. You know, he was he was very vindictive. And the the, the attitude of of everybody was like, if you don't support him, you're obviously a racist. And so it's 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 definitely grown. And now, you know, Trump basically pulled the mask off of everybody and and totally made the left insane. So now it's literally a situation where they are trying to purge anyone who disagrees with them out of every institution in America. And definitely they're doing that in Hollywood. So now the reason they do it in Hollywood, my theory, which I think is provable and you, I think you agree is because the awesome power of storytelling shapes the norms that then politicians craft policy around, you know, I I got involved in the business in the mid nineties the first time I ever was in Hollywood, California, was like 1996. So I saw this change happen from where it was, we're making entertainment and we're crafty and this is a great script and great material to agenda-driven things to push this power, you know, consolidate it more and more. So it's a, it's a frustrating reality that I don't think a lot of people understand the importance of the storytelling power widespread and and how hard it is for us to break through on the other side and just tell a slightly different story. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I remember the being shaped by the movies that were made in the seventies, you know, obviously being in high school, I became a movie fan. That's why I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to make films and it was movies like all the president's men and, you know, midnight cowboy and all these things that those really shaped me. You know, and and I remember it, I was a valedictorian in my high school and my speech was all about that. We have a duty to be dissatisfied with our government. And all of that was because of the messages that I was getting. You know, it's like the messages I was getting from the culture at that time is that we have a duty to question authority and to oppose it when it is immoral or when it is unjust, you know, and and. I think that now the culture is is totally warped in that the culture is now anti-American, not anti-government, but anti the idea of America. You know, it's anti-constitution. America's a racist country. You know, this country was founded on murder and racism and genocide and all this stuff. That, that That's the messages that our young people are getting. And so... That's why the movies that we're seeing come out of Hollywood right now, they're, I can't watch many of them, you know, or, or you'll be watching them and all of a sudden there's like, I was watching Batman the other day. I just picked, you know, the new Batman and suddenly there's a message about, uh, you know, white privilege. Batman's talking about white privilege. <laughs> you know? it's like, what the hell is going on? Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, it's a long way around to saying that, you know, the, the, they are excluding people from the culture. They're not making movies for audiences anymore. They are making movies to impress the person next to them in the cubicle at Disney. And because that's where their next job's coming from anyway. And so you have this kind of insular Hollywood culture that has no connection to a vast swath of the country. And, you know, we, we, we don't have a unified culture anymore. We have, we have a splintered culture. We, when we, when we were growing up, everybody watched the same show, you know, everybody watched mash or whatever, but we don't have that anymore. And so it's all niche markets. Well, that same storytelling power that shaped your opinions, your, your 
right opinions about questioning power and authority, just so listeners understand that aren't too young to know, are the same people who are still in power now that made that artwork and made those stories that shaped you. And it just proves their resistance, their, their, uh, inability to pass the baton, to share the power, to share the storytelling power, because they've seen what they can do with it. I I believe they create marketplaces of consumers and that's why they broke us all up. Right. And we just got the shit under the stick where they're just like, these are, this is the easiest target, small town people, blue collar who just used to rely on us for entertainment. Well, we're going to take their children and turn them into little characters and we're going to turn everybody into these little product worshiping, uh, non-thinking American citizens, and they got us that way because we were the easy target. And that, I resent that because blue-collar people are sincere, but our politicians and our media people are insincere, and nobody wants to understand that fully is a big part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And another part of the problem, I think, and you know, we can get into this, but what what the Hollywood gatekeepers have done is they've created these you know, these categories, faith-based, you know, kind of movies that that sort of, yeah, you know, people get all excited that, that we're making a movie that has conservative values in it and that has maybe Christian values in it. But what happens in Hollywood is they create these divisions and they call it faith-based, and that basically sends a message out of, like, if you're not a Christian, don't watch this. You know, if you, this is for those yucky blue collar people out there in the country. We might make a little money off this, but we don't want any of the rest of you to watch it because it's right wing, right? Or it's Christian. And so the one part of the struggle that I'm having and that, you know, I'm sure you're going through too, and everybody who wants to create in this environment is that you have to find a way to make your film mainstream, even though it has so-called conservative or Christian values in it. There's got to be a way to reach people that that uh, don't necessarily see it coming. And that's, to me, that's, I think, the real trick and the real struggle. Well, I agree with you. And I think that's the real problem with the way we've, our side has wasted its time becoming highly politically operative mm-hmm. instead of writers' workshops, right. filmmakers' workshops, instead of all of the money that Republicans have you know, I sent you years back just uh, to remind you that I'm, you know, how how consistent I've been. One of the first things I ever wrote was, "Will the conservative money men please stand up?" Well, they stood up, and they just make, you know, media companies that are about politics and not about art. When right. this long road to the power to shape minds has to start small and somewhere, and yeah. so, you know, with that truth, let me just transition to your great filmmaking that you do to actually. Uh, practice what you preach. Uh, you've done it over and over with a few documentaries, and you also did it with, I think, the first official real culture hit, uh, Gosnell. And I don't mean hit as in box office hit. I mean the real sharp knife that hurt them. That was a movie that was, uh, in my opinion, a major breakthrough and great job. I loved it. I took a whole school bus full of kids to it. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, that was a uh... I, I'm proud of that movie. I think, uh, you know, we did a lot with a, a little bit. You know, we we were able to make a, a movie with a, not a lot of money there that was very effective. And I think the reason that it was effective is that we approached it not like a political piece, but just like a crime drama. That it was just like catching this guy, finding out what he did and putting him on trial. You know, and we I said all the way through, we don't have to tell people what to think about abortion. We just have to show them what it is, because when I read the script, there was a scene in there and it's still in the movie. It's it's still my favorite scene in the movie, but um, where Gosnell's defense attorney is interviewing a legitimate uh, abortion doctor who's not charged with anything, who, you know, does things the legal way. And he gets her to take you through all the steps of what she does to perform an abortion. And when I read that, I was like, I did not know that that's what it was. You know, I didn't know that that's a, that that's what the procedure was. And I said, this is important. You know, I just want to I want to make this movie because no matter how you feel about the issue, you should know what you're talking about. You should know that this is what they do. 
know, it's not it's not something else. It's they they take a needle and they kill the child while it's still in the womb, and then they pull it apart piece by piece. And it's like, yeah. Well, what I love that you did is you didn't show us the picture in the courtroom, right? And I thought that was about that. There was a big, uh, but I thought that was masterful, well done. And, and I really admired your directing in that moment. It all came together and crystallized. And I was like, wow, this, this guy's a great storyteller. You know, I really love the seventies film as well. And it had that feel that, that respect for your audience, the nuance of the characters. And like you said, you approached it as something that wasn't politicizing abortion. It was just telling a crime drama. I mean, I feel like we just need some people to throw down some money. We start a film school. We pump out people who understand the way it works. And this thing changes for us way faster than if we try to make uh, blockbuster movies about the election being stolen. Yeah. And the thing is, the other side's not going to watch those. I mean, it's like I made Capital Punishment, as we were talking about before. And, you know, I thought it was an important film to make, but you can't. I can't get anybody on the other side to even watch it, and that includes members of my own family. That includes my agent. I had to fire my agent back over Christmas because I was saying, "What did you think of the film?" And he said, "I'm, I'm not going to watch that." And I go, "You're not, you're you're my agent. You you kind of have to watch. <laughs> you have to. It's your job." And he said, no, it's an insurrection. I, I don't want to, I'm not going to sit through that because it supports. I said, well, dude, you don't want to be representing an insurrectionist, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I guess you're fired. <laughs> well, it just, again, shows the power of storytelling and how uh, well-trained the other side has their people. Oh, yeah. Uh, and tuned into their story. You know, I stopped getting mad every time I see a Bernie-laden bumper sticker car thinking, how could this person be so dumb? Don't they know what's going on? Yeah. I just look at it now and I'm just like, wow, they just had a better ad campaign than our side. Uh, uh, something easier for them to understand. They personalize their habits. They do all, they enrich them with, with culture, right? They enrich them with all this culture that they'll defend with their lives because you're not taking my gay marriage away. You're not taking my weed away. How dare you? So the other stuff is easy to ignore. The important stuff that you're asking your agent to even look at is super easy to ignore because the the way they're trained. Yeah. And, and their worldview is so, their sense of self is so wrapped up in their politics. They 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 see themselves as a good person because of their politics. So anything that might challenge that, they have to push it away as evil. And so in a certain sense, what I'm getting at is, is like we've talked about, it, it, it almost doesn't make sense to keep making these movies that only our side is going to watch because you, you're not getting anywhere. I mean, maybe you're making some money. Maybe you're, you know, you, you, you know, you found your niche audience and you're mining it. And I think for so many people, that is, that is the point, you know, that they, they are making money and I'm not against making money, but I don't know that you're really changing the culture. You're, you're pumping stuff out there that, that people will buy uh, a certain number of people, but you're not really making that much of an impact. Yeah, well, I look, this is a world that the left has clearly shown how to acquire all power and how to keep your grip on it and make people on their own side abandon their family and everything because they're just very good at storytelling compared to our side. Right. So it's, it's, uh, it's something we have to overcome as a, as a political party. And, you know, are you familiar with the organization um, – uh, it's in Washington, D.C. It's literally a lobbyist for the arts, but it's all left-wing stuff. It's oh. it's funded. It's been the Creative Coalition. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So all these filmmakers, look, Sean Penn's, they're all on the board. Yeah. I mean, that's how they keep this thing locked up. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, our side gets encouraged to be strictly one way, right? Where the other side is we'll take government money yeah. and we'll make art and then we'll rule the country with it, you know? So we just got to wise up. And, and my hope is that eventually some people will come together and we can start something like that. You know, like literally a creative lobbyist where it's like not the America first lobby for the arts or just just like something that is – 
your art must promote some some form of personal liberty in line with the American way of life. And you can get a little funding and you can get a little support. And then we have to start forcing these politicians to put artists in front of everything they do. Because I see Chuck Schumer. He watches the Oscars and he tweets about it. I mean, these guys are lapdogs for the culture because that's where the people are. Yeah. And, and but the the problem is, of course, that you have a, a culture in Hollywood that almost it almost doesn't matter w- which side is in power; they are not promoting individual liberty. They they don't believe in it. <laughs> I mean, you know, they don't they don't believe in American values. They they want power, and so individual liberty uh, decreases their power. So. This uh, all the government money that goes into the creative coalition and all the things they try to do that the last thing they're ever going to promote is individual liberty, which is a real shame because that's that's the real basis for this country. That's how Sean Penn and those people on those committees. That's how they got rich. That's how they prospered. But now they're just kind of pulling up the ladder behind them. They don't want anybody else to get rich. And uh, it's it's. It's it's a tough uphill fight, and I I don't know that we're ever going to be able to fight it in that sort of a centralized way, you know, that we'll ever be able to put together a group that the government will then endorse. I, I think it's got to come from the bottom up. It's got to come from individuals making things, infiltrating their culture, infiltrating them with movies they don't see coming, like, you know, Top Gun or, you know, we can blindside. There's a few that you can throw out there. And, and you know, hopefully the problem with the left in Hollywood is that they're not really as concerned with profit as everybody thinks. They're they're more concerned with ideology these days. Yeah. Well, they're willing to spend money. I mean, that's the real big difference between the sides. They will lose money to make sure that they have a generation of customers lining up to their ideology. Right. Uh, that's worth it to them because then they have they have the power to multiply their profits. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a never-ending supply, you know. And so many of these woke corporations and the movie companies, they are making a bet by going woke. They are betting on the future that in the future, the future will be these little mind numbed woke robots. And so we look at this and go, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, But, you know, they they look at us as like we're the past. The the new culture is going to be these little brainwashed kids that are coming out of college that believe all this nonsense. It's true. It's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a very weird time. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about another thing you said. I was on a phone call with you a couple of years ago and you said something that fascinated me that I think about a lot. And I want to talk about it so that people who listen to this podcast can also entertain some thoughts about how far you can go with this. You talked about the two libraries. You said there's two libraries. There's the library on the left, and it's full of all the books about painting and art and music and romance and adventure. And then there's the library on the right, and it's full of instruction manuals, how to, uh, how to this, how to that, how to fix your refrigerator, how to engineer an atomic bomb, whatever. It's all the brainiac, detailed, legal schmeagle stuff on that side. And then the other side is where all the fun happens. And we get pushed into these two different libraries, but you and I both know they were once one building. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we infiltrate? This is what I think is like, how do we infiltrate their library? I think it starts there. All right. If we can't get this big, huge movement going with all these people creating, how do we one by one just go sit in the section and make them uncomfortable? Yeah, it's a tough. uh, Yeah. What? My friend Louis Edge came up with that analogy. It's like, you know, the rights library is all facts and science and, you know, how-to manuals. And the, 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 left's, um, the left's library is full of poems and songs, and it's about love and, you know, adventure. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I want to go to that library, you know, even though I believe all this stuff on the right. So the, it's a perfect analogy right there. Yeah, That's yeah. why the left owns the culture. That's right. Period. That is it. It is it. You just said it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, the way you do it, I think, is that you have to 
create something that will get into their library, you know, that, that they don't realize that it, they've let something in that's <laughs> that pro American Liberty, pro pro individual Liberty. And, uh, you know, and, and so that, that's the struggle. And the problem with our investors on the right is that they'll make a thousand documentaries. They'll make, you know, they think that's really important. Give them the facts, let them see the truth. And it's like, no, they're not going to look at it. If you tell them it's the truth, they won't believe it. What you have to do is find a way to let the truth hit them. You have to find it. You have to put it in a, in a, in a product or a package or a story that will hit them without them knowing they've been hit. And that's really what they do. That's what the left does so well. You know, they'll tell a great story and you're, you're, you know, captivated by this movie. And then this message comes and we're old enough to see the message. But a lot of these kids, they just, oh, they don't see it. They just get hit with it before they know it. Well, it's like I asked a, a fellow parent a couple of years back. They were watching some movies with their child. And I, the movie was famous for having a gay character. I can't remember what the name. It was just an indie film. And I said, and of, of all the movies you've watched in this recent period of time, I bet you can't find one bad, like the virtue is all on the gay character every time now. Right. And that's not, that's not an accident. And this is not, uh, it's because they are very interested and invested in making sure that people understand they're good people and they're normal people. So what they do is they use the storytelling power to make the virtuous character mm -hmm. always have that, that part of their personality as well. And again, we end up, um, the people on the right, the low, the easiest target end up always as the easy person to blame is why their life is so bad. When really it's always because of something in their own damn family between their parents and themselves. And they're just taking it out on the rest of us by running Hollywood and running movies and, and forcing this agenda uh, everywhere you look now. Mm -hmm. And they'll really have achieved equality when you can go back to having a, a character that is a villain who happens to be gay. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, because the, the whole idea of one tribe is more of a victim than another, or one set of people, one set of people with a certain sexuality is, is better than another. All of that is just basically anti-individual liberty. And, you know, there are individuals in every tribe in every subset of American that are that do evil things. It's not just white people who are bad and it's not just gay people who are victims. There there are bad people everywhere. And we have to get back to this idea that we're all individuals. We all have individual choices that we have to make which makes make us impact the world. And right now it's 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 a purpose it's a it's a tactic of the left anyway to divide everybody up into tribes and pit us against each other and so that's what we're fighting against you know is this well i think they just they just increase their profits that way and they know it works yeah. and they increase their their followers that way too but on the life thing you know, everyone's life is a complicated journey right. you shared with the listeners about your your valedictorian speech and how it you know, it shaped you. And then my life intersects with yours later on the, on a movie set. And so everyone, you know, we go all over the place. There was a time when you and I were arguing online because I thought Mitt Romney was the next Ronald Reagan, right. you know? So we all get taken in by storytelling left right. and right. Right. You know, it's just that our storytelling takes us into a place, then beats us in the face and leaves us for dead in the alleyway. And the left, they get handbags and cans of soup with their logos on it. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. well, you know, and, and going back to the movie that we met on Tigerland, I mean, that movie was, uh, you know, an anti-establishment movie, right? It wasn't anti-American. It was anti-authority. It was anti-government, you know, and challenging the government to justify the things that they are forcing us to do. And that movie's still around. I mean, I, I still hear from people all the time who watch Tigerland and go, wow, that was a great movie. I didn't see it when it came out. And I think it's great. I think it holds up because it's an, it's a movie about American values that isn't like 
you know, they can't put it in a box and say, this is a, you know, a faith-based movie, or this is a right-wing movie. It, it does have those values embedded in it, but it's done in such a clever way that they don't recognize that, but they respond to it when they see it. By the way, the script is faith-based because there's a line that, that Roland Boz, that a soldier says, says, I hear if you want to get out of Vietnam, you got to pray to Jesus Christ or go find Roland Boz. And I put that (laughs) in the script. So, so I snuck it in there. So So there is ways to get things in there. And I think that, uh, our side has to dial back its expectations of the impact we can make politically. And it's much better to get a movie that tells a cool story that a lot of people love for different reasons, but they walk away feeling, you know, a desire for smaller government, but it's not even something that was in the script, right? Right. It's just someone, someone abused their power. And then, you know, and that's, that's, that's the way the left does it. And we got to, we got to straighten this thing up because we're just going to keep losing in my opinion. Yeah. And that's kind of, I've kind of sworn off documentaries. I've made, I've made two now. I made two, I made one in 2020 and I made one in 2021. One about the Bible and the constitution and called God shed his grace on thee. And uh, then the one capital punishment was about January 6th. And I sort of like, after I finished capital punishment, we released it. I go, okay, that's a good movie but I'm not making any more political documentaries. I'm going to make movies now. And I've got a deal that I'm hoping is going to go through in the next couple of weeks. I have been assured by the, the the money people that they love the script and they're going to make the movie no matter what, but we're waiting. We've made an offer to a certain star and I don't want to say his name because I don't want to jinx it. But if it comes through, I'm going to be directing a film next year that, is is basically a straight up 80s action movie you know it's it's kind of like a you know it's a rambo movie or you know and but it does have embedded in this action you know is this idea that you know america's worth fighting for and and you know people have a right to defend themselves and there's actually some dialogue in it where issues are discussed but it is not in any way a a right-wing diatribe, you know. And that's what the people who love the script are willing to fund it, you know, that's what they responded to about it. It's like you talk about politics, but you don't take a side. You just let it happen and let people make up their own minds. And that's, I think that's what everybody wants, really. It's what we need. It's the remedy. It really is the remedy. And you're a great director. So it's going to be a fantastic project. I do hope it goes through. Um, I've never directed action like this before. It's going to be, (laughs) it's going to be. Yeah, but you've been around, you know how it goes. You've worked with some of the greats. You, you know exactly what to do. Uh, Let's, let's talk about that serious documentary that I watched last night. Mm -hmm. Um, Capital punishment. That was difficult to watch. Yeah. Uh, because it fires me up to want to just get really angry and aggravated and mad. But I've tempered myself this year to not let elections do that to me this time, but to try and work towards really subverting the left's power, which is culture. So I just choose to spend my time there. Right. But everything I saw in that movie, it's it's aggravating to see the government abuse its power. Hmm. Uh, it's sickening. Yeah. to know that this is happening to our fellow Americans. It's heartbreaking, the story of everybody who's Ashley Babbitt's husband. I mean, it was very well done, Nick, and very, very powerful. There's a reason people don't want to watch it, because they're afraid of what they're going to see. Yeah. Uh, and I saw it, and I closed my phone after I watched it. I watched it on my iPhone in one sitting. I was just, mm-hmm. and I just thought, man, this is, this is a strange, strange, dark time for our country. Yeah. And, but there's one thing that I can't stop thinking about with the whole January 6th riot, whatever protest, mm-hmm. right. whatever they call it, whatever they call it, uh, is it, it was the first big crazy moment that the left had sort of baited us into and used in this political way. But previous to it, Hong Kong was riots all the time. Uh, the government there was going to, this people were protesting. The CCP was about to take over. 
there was a lot of riots everywhere. They all stopped, and then they started in our country. Mm-hmm. And so I just speculate in complete openness and innocence that the government is diabolical and it uses its power in an awful way that you document very clearly. Is there some possible overlap with something international that we just don't know about and they're just flexing on their own citizens, but it's really to show, I I just feel like, you know, there's something there. That's all, that's all out. That's all I'm going to say. There's something there where it all stops with our, on the other side and it all starts here that just strikes me as peculiar no this is definitely a global movement and you know the couple of people in the film talk about the this is this is enemies foreign and domestic um one of the sections that we took out of capital punishment there, there was a whole cadre of ukrainian soldiers there that were dressed in you know, civilian clothes or whatever, and people notice that, and it's like, what, what are these, what are these people doing here? There was such an element that day of people that were not there to protest the election. They were not Trump supporters. They were dressed like Trump supporters. We have footage of them, as you saw, probably changing clothes in the bushes, but they were definitely inspired to go there, or maybe even funded to go there. By someone, you know, either the government or either a foreign power or a foreign organization. So this is definitely, I think, the BLM riots back in the twenty in twenty 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 one. These were also funded uh, and and inspired and instigated by not only people inside this country but people outside of it. Because this, the whole global socialist movement, is. It, America is the target. America is the last bastion. If they can topple America, they win. So, of course, uh, anyone who's a global socialist who believes in fairness by making everybody equally miserable, um, they're they're going to be part of of trying to tear down the fabric of our society, pit us against each other. And they take an event like January 6th, where it was 2 million people, which they never tell you, they, and they make it look like it was only a few thousand crazy Trump supporters who broke down the Capitol and tried to burn it down or whatever the, the narrative is they're pushing. They take that day and like, you know, they say the worst day in American history since the Civil War, <laughs> except like every most of the people that were there were my age. It's like, what are we we're going to take over the Capitol with our our polygrip? And our- well, they're all they're all drama queens, and they're professional drama queens, and yeah. they've been trained to do this. Yeah. Everything they do is the most dramatic possible reaction to yeah. make everybody freak out about right wing extremists, apparently. Right. And so, yeah, I did, to answer your question, yeah, I do think it's a it's a uh, it's it's enemies, both foreign and domestic. Well, because at the time of BLM, they shut down this giant Chinese embassy in Houston that was apparently giving money to BLM. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm always paying attention to the other little things that aren't the headline distraction, but kind of tell you a little bit about the weird battle going on between foreign intelligence and people on the ground. So the consolidation of power in our government is frightening because it, it only got this way once again because we allowed people to spend two, three decades telling people stories that told them lies about who Americans are, what we value, what we believe, and why we are. And that's the problem. And here's a funny story about, uh, you know, Chinese influence in Hollywood. This, This movie that I'm about to make, two years ago, before the pandemic hit, you know, I had a meeting with some people, a studio in, in, in Hollywood that was interested in the script. They wanted to make this movie. And I'm meeting with them and, you know, we're talking about the script. And they said, you know, by the way, do you have anything, you know, is there any way you could maybe change the, the script so that it would be more appealing to China? And I started laughing. I thought, <laughs> I thought they made a joke. But no, they were serious. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, the villains in your in your movie are like cartel leaders. And is there any way to make the villains like 
Like the Chinese really hate the Japanese. Could we make the villains Japanese? <laughs> Unreal. I know. And I was like, and they were serious. And I was like, okay, what what, what would the Japanese terrorists want? Well, you know, I'm trying to think of like how how do we make the terrorists Japanese? <laughs> so, oh my gosh! Arigato. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a Chinese influence story that's legit like that as well, where. Uh, the book that I sent you and that I thank you for sharing. I sold a lot of books that day. You have a lot of influence Oh, is uh, well, crisis moon because I had this great story back when I was in the, in the loop and I went around pitching China and the United States in a war on the moon. Yeah. Uh, and everybody wanted to talk to me about it. And then one day I got an email from a producer at 20th century Fox uh, with a long article explaining that our friend Bo Flynn's movie, Red Dawn, had yeah. Chinese land and try to reclaim California. Right. But because they are the box office and the, the middle class that our country grew uh, over there is so important to Hollywood, more than the American audience, yeah. they changed them to Koreans, which made no sense whatsoever. Right. So I had that shut down as well. So my retaliation was with the book. Yeah. And, and, um, and I just literally made the book that concept so that if anyone makes a movie about any war on the moon between communists and patriots, I got a lawsuit because that's all my book is. Right. So I kept it nailed down to that, you know, for a reason. But that, that's their that's a tell, though, because what what our audience and the people who are on our side don't understand is market matters. Yeah. And you can and, and they'll go they'll chase the opportunity. Like the celebration right now is that an eighteen million dollar movie is number one over the weekend. That's pathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about the the new uh, superhero movie. Um, what is it? It's about a African queen. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah, uh, it was in the '90s that every weekend it was fifty, thirty, you know, forty, fifty million. And that they're like eighteen million, big win. They've uh-huh. scaled everything back because I think they got beat by China. Yeah. No, absolutely. They, they've they've lowered expectations to the point. Well, you know that goes into television too. It's like, you know that there's not not a situation anymore where you have 14 million people watching a given show on a given night. You know, it's like, hey, we got 1.3 million. That's pretty good. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got everybody in this important voting district tuned in tonight. Yeah. That's all that matters. Right. Yeah, Living well, they those, really the have. The, the, well, the culture is so splintered, and you know they everything's a niche market now. Everything is. It's like, except you know, then you get a movie like John Wick or something like that what, that really kind of breaks through because everybody goes, "Oh, this is just a lot of fun." Finally, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so. I think our job—that's our job as artists—is to un niche. Yeah. the country back into what it is, which is a tapestry of, of great different ideas individually valued by their own existence. Right. Um, the group I mean, thing, only back to, purpose. When you look back to at a movie like Amadeus, you know, Amadeus, I don't think they would make that movie now. You know, they would go, Oh, it's a period piece. Nobody wants to see that. These kids don't know who Mozart is. You know, but they'll make a movie like whatever this thing was that that made eighteen million dollars because it advances their politics, right? Amadeus didn't advance any politics; it was just a great story, uh, and beautifully acted and beautifully made. That's not how they make movies anymore. They they make the the movie based on the ideology. Right. And those movies that are very specific actually appeal to more people because they just become human stories. That's one of the things I learned along the way about writing is the more specific you make a story, the more appeal it has. Because everybody can relate to the struggle um, if it's specific, but they can't if it's trying to hit all of its demographics, then it becomes a joke. Right. Right. So, well, we got an uphill. uh, We got an uphill climb for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and really, I'm disappointed in a lot of the, you know, the the people on our side that are sort of entering the entertainment world. They're not going about it the way I would go about it. You know, they're not going to people who are creators and going, we want to work with you. They're just sort of sitting back and going, yeah, send us a script. Yeah, you know, uh, let us, you know, 
we want to work with people in Hollywood too. And it's like, that's, that's not how you build a studio system. That's not how you do it. It's like a company like the daily wire. They, they made some really good films, but they don't release them in theaters. They, they don't, you know, make it possible for anybody who's not a subscriber to watch them. And it seems to me like if you're going to enter the world of popular entertainment, you should use that as a way to draw more people to your subscription site rather than limiting it to the people that already agree with you. Yes, so we need to fill that with great stories that bump people closer to desiring liberty, desiring smaller government for reasons that they understand because the story had it embedded into it. And desiring unity as Americans because, man, we can't get knocked out by the communist movement. We just can't because no. they're, they're doing their easiest trick, which is bullshitting us all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of say it at the end of Capital Punishment. I, I think in many ways the America that we know has already been lost. It's just are we going to be able to get it back? I mean, I think right now they've won. You know, they, they have established – themselves in power. They are systematically destroying the economy. They are systematically destroying American liberty. They are imprisoning people that disagree with them. It's already happened. And that's kind of what I tell people we have to face. We have to get it back now. That's what we have to do. It's not like, can we save it? I don't think we can. We've got to get it back somehow. Well, and the way that I'm going to go ahead and get it back is I'm going to sneak my ass over to the library that has all the books on art and poetry. You bet. And, I'm going to, and if I find people that are hostile to me, I'm just going to tell them I agree with them. You're right. And let, them, let them believe that I'm their friend and I'm going to go about my business sneaking books here and there. And until my time runs out, that's what I'm going to do. And I think I'll have a bigger impact than people who start networks that last an election cycle that are only focused on – politically jazzing up more transactions to buy t-shirts and weird things that say slogans that don't even last more than a month. Um, and, and I just, you know, and I'm glad and honored that somebody like yourself, that you personally are on the same side as me. And I'm glad that we've had disagreements and kind of can still be friends. And I think that's, that's a lost art in America. And I don't know why, uh, more people don't practice this. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like I I always tell people, you know, my politics haven't changed. I've been this way for 30 years, but suddenly now I have to be excluded from them. It's it's not that I haven't changed. It's them. They have changed. The left has become this, this group of people that has to purge you from their sight if you disagree with them. I've gotten along with people in Hollywood on the left that I disagreed with for 30 years. All of a sudden now, they can't get along with us because we're ultra MAGA, semi-fascist, or you know whatever the, the current white supremacist day, uh, word of the day is. And so that's you're, we're going to have more success going into their library and convincing them that we're uh, okay. Uh, than than we are sort of being adversarial with them in the culture war uh, because we're used to it. I mean, you and I have done it, and and you know they we're we're used to be getting along with the other side. They they can't, and it's not like conservatives don't already live their life in the reality of the left's world and operate fine. If you just say, okay, you got all your cultural wins, not the crazy stuff like. Story time, drag queen shit. Just you got your gay marriage. We got all the all right. The creature comforts. Everything's established. People don't mind you. Uh, Then we can get to the business of subverting that worldview over time. But we can't until we just say, "All right, you won. You know, you got us. You got us, guys." And that's the moment they're going to really be afraid of the right and not know what to do. Because when it stops being political and it starts being cultural. Then suddenly they're going to be very, very nervous and not know what to do. Right. Yeah. And um, that's that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to sneak up on them and hit them with a story that they didn't see coming and make them think about it. Well, you're a prize fighter because you hit him in the face for a while, too. <laughs> you go direct, You got the uppercut, the direct, you know, and you got the stealth punch. So you have it all. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I learned from Gosnell and I learned from Capital Punishment that what they do with movies like that when they're effective and they're identified as conservative, they don't argue with them. They just ignore them. They just they just don't look at it. And that's what's happening with that new um, My Son Hunter thing. It's like they, they, nobody's going to see it it's, unless you're completely invested in that storyline or believe everything that you know the those people the filmmakers believe about hunter biden they're just not going to watch it well we have uh very few people like you on our side and we have a tremendous amount of pundits and media personalities who want to talk about policy and policy wonks uh so we got to change that equation to make this happen yeah and and that is where I will end our show because it's a nice hour long conversation about the problem, the projects, the, what you're doing. And I try to keep my show to an hour just to give people a predictable experience, but that's an important way to end. It is, uh, what you're doing is you're leading by example. I do it in my own way by publishing books. There's Mm -hmm. other friends of ours that make films. We're not going to get the big giant wins. We're not going to get the, the huge deal and the, you know, the swimming pool and the house and all that, that's going to take a little bit of time. You already have those things, but, (laughs) but most people need to, you know, accept where we're at in the game so that we can actually play it. And you do a great job leading and, and being an example of what to actually physically do instead of just use social media for the fun stuff, you know, harassing and all the the memes, that's all fun, but man, you back it up with action. So this podcast and I respect you very much and I think you're a great actor and I'm really glad you came on my show today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. Uh, proud to be in this fight with you. And I think to sum up, people just need to give me money. That's it. That's right. They do. <laughs> it's really that simple. Yeah. Uh, and these people who, who, who don't, they can just continue to be swallowed by communism or they can wise up and invest in the culture for, for a change and really invest in it and, and, you know, if they want to be like the left, really be like the left. Put your money where you really want this culture to be, and you'll yeah. get it. You'll get the return, and then you'll have all the power, and we can yeah. give it to them. And that's a fact. So, all right. All right. Thanks, Nick. Have a great day. Thank you, Michael. Nice to see you. You too.